this first talk will be about uh, Jesus as the King. The topic of this retreat is the kinship of Christ. And we have to deepen uh, a little bit more this aspect of our faith, which is not so known and clear, I think, to our own knowledge. To look at Jesus as the high priest is easy and we are more used to. But uh, to see Jesus as the king, king of kings, and to say that Jesus uh, has a kingdom and there is a social kinship of Christ is something more uh, difficult to understand. First of all, you might already know that Pius XI, in 1925, instituted the Feast of Christ the King. And uh, this is an important feast, and the Pope gave also the Mass. And with this feast, also the theology of the kinship of Christ was more developed. In the new, in the Novus Sordo Mass, with the liturgical reform, we still have the solemnity of Christ the King, which is celebrated by the end of the liturgical year, before starting the Advent season. But uh, we have lost, in a way, the understanding of the social kinship of Christ. What does it mean? the link between Christ as a king and our daily life, social life, political life, any kind of affair in this, our life, has something to do with Jesus' kinship. Unfortunately, we are no longer used to it because we prefer to distinguish, of course, but even to split the two aspects. One thing is my faith in Jesus, another thing is my life, my social life. We don't see anymore this uh, connection and uh, dependence of this social life on Jesus' kinship. So my effort is to dust a little bit off this uh, beautiful topic and to see the practical consequences in our daily life, in whatever we do, in our work, in our daily affair. So we have to know why Jesus is a king. Does Jesus say anything about his kingship? Yes, he does. Jesus is a king because he calls himself in the New Testament as such, and also because he is recognized by people as such, as the king. In order to see the kingship of Christ, we have to start with the Old Testament revelation, and especially with the prophets. <coughs> the prophets repeatedly make reference to this topic, to this fact, the kingship of God. Let's start with Isaiah 9, 5, 6. Uh, uh, 5, 6. 
This is a messianic oracle that we normally read during the Christmas, the Advent uh, si uh, season. You remember this text? For a child is born to us and a son is given to us and the government is upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, God the Mighty, the Father of the world to come, the Prince of Peace. His empire shall be multiplied and there shall be no end of peace. He shall sit upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to establish it and strengthen it with judgment and with justice from henceforth and forever. I will be quoting the Holy Bible according to the Douay Rheims translation. This is the very first text speaking about this kingdom of the Messiah. Other prophets, after uh, make reference and echo, in a way, this text of Isaiah, very central. For example, we have Jeremiah, chapter 23, verse 5, who foretells the birth of a just branch from David. You keep in mind that David is the king par excellence. With David, especially with David, the monarchy in Israel begins. And this is the way God himself is ruling over his people. That's why the messianic reference uh, to Jesus as the king comes always in the prophets through the uh, lineage of David as the king and, this, uh, and his royal, uh, royal uh, lineage. Uh, so Jeremiah says also that a king shall reign and shall be wise and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. Then there is another central prophecy uh, by Daniel. Daniel 2.44, who announces that the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, and his kingdom shall not be delivered up to another people. Daniel is very important, making reference to a kingdom, a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. So the reference to David's kingdom is important, but we have to see the development after David's, because we know that uh, Solomon was also brilliant, but after Solomon, the king, the kingdom was split in two, and, uh, and the new also saw this, uh, also this decay. So the messianic oracle is always important. This kingdom has to be seen in the light of Daniel's prophecy of the Son of Man. Keep in mind this key aspect to understand Jesus' kingship. Jesus is the Son of Man, prophesied by Daniel, and Jesus himself uh, makes reference to his 
messianic uh, ministry as the one of the son of man. So, in the nocturnal visions, Daniel chapter 7, 13, 14, so one like the son of man who came with the clouds of heaven and he came even to the ancient of days and they presented him before him and he gave him power and glory and a kingdom and all peoples, tribes and tongues shall serve him. His power is an everlasting power that shall not be taken away and his kingdom that shall not be destroyed. Very clear, the reference to the kingdom of this uh, now enigmatic figure, the son of man, who is he? Without Jesus, we do not understand this uh, prophecy of Daniel. It is fitting to remember that Jesus will identify himself with this figure, the Son of Man, many times in the Gospels. We have the Gospel of Matthew 13.41, Mark 13.26, John's Gospel 3.13, etc. Especially in the Gospel of St. Matthew 25, 31-32, this is the discourse about the Last Judgment. Jesus attributes to himself the title of Son of Man, with, followed by another important reference, which is the throne of his majesty. This is the gospel we had today as well. Jesus will sit upon the throne of his majesty to judge all the people, the living and the dead. The Son of Man will sit upon the throne of his majesty. And another important pecu peculiar aspect is that while sitting to judge the living and the dead, all nations, all nations shall be gathered before the judge, Christ. This is a royal uh, aspect of Jesus judging. Jesus who has been entrusted with this ministry by the Father. So the Son of Man is a king, actually, sitting, he has a throne, and uh, all nations, all people shall be gathered uh, in his presence. Keep this in mind to understand the universal aspect of Jesus' kinship, not excluding anyone. Beside these royal prophecies, we have also to enumerate the oracle of the prophet Nathan to David. We go to the book of, first book of Chronicles, 17.14, and also we have another same account in the second book of Samuel, 7.14. It's a very uh, important uh, messianic prophecy. What is about? David, you remember the text, would have built a house to the Lord. For the Ark of the Covenant was in a tent, 
while the king, David, used to, to be in a cedar palace, very uh, magnificent palace. So David is telling the prophet, I will build a house to the Lord. But Nathan will uh, says to David that uh, it won't be him who will build a house to the Lord, but one of his descendants after him, to whom the Lord will make his kingdom firm. This is the, the text. First Chronicles. But I, the Lord says, will settle him in my house and in my kingdom forever, David's descendant, and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be most firm forever. Of course, here uh, Nathan is making reference to a descendant of David who is not his son, Solomon, but another one who will make this kingdom firm, eternal. We can identify this descendant with the annunciation of the angel Gabriel to Our Lady, speaking of the same thing. But now, pay attention to this other aspect. The letter to the Hebrews, 2.17, speaking of Jesus as the high priest, who is merciful and worthy of faith, shall make reference to this oracle, of this Nathan's oracle, applying this oracle to Christ. In fact, Christ is the true builder of the temple. You remember, David wanted to build a temple, a house, a magnificent temple to the Lord, but The true builder is Christ. Or better to say, he is the true temple. Christ is the temple itself, rebuilt in three days by the sacrifice of his passion, death and resurrection, according to St. John's Gospel 2.19. Jesus is the temple, not only the builder, but himself, the true permanent temple in which we can adore the Father in spirit and in truth. John's Gospel 4.23 This new temple built by the Son is also the Church. His mystical body and the salvific extension in time of Jesus' physical body. The Archangel Gabriel, when uh, came to Our Lady for the Annunciation, will reveal to Mary the Christological, the reference to Christ, of that prophecy, Nathan's prophecy. We have the Christological fulfillment of that oracle, the Gospel of St. Luke. At the Annunciation says, The Lord God shall give unto him the throne of David, his father, and he shall reign in the house of Jacob forever. 
So the way to make that throne secure and firm has come now to be true with Jesus, with the birth of this true king, whose throne shall be firm forever. This is a way to understand how the prophecies in the Old Testament lead to understand the kingship of Christ. We now see already that Christ was uh, foretold as the king and his kingship comes because of his uh, uh, being a descendant of David. In fact, Jesus was of the tribe of uh, Judah and, uh, and uh, he's of a royal tribe because of Saint Joseph but also because of Our Lady. Most probably Our Lady belonged to two tribes, the one of the royal one and also the tribe of Aaron, the, the, the priestly tribe, because of her relationship with Elizabeth. Elizabeth was the wife of Zachariah. Zachariah was the high priest. He was of the, the tribe of Levi. So most probably Our Lady was also belonging to the priestly tribe. But this is the preparation only of the kinship of Christ. Let's now look at the life of our Lord itself, telling us of, a, an, of this important mystery. In fact, Jesus' life runs between two central moments in which his kinship is openly revealed. The first moment is the adoration of the Magi. When these uh, wise men arrived to Jerusalem and asked Herod, where they could find the baby, the question they, they asked was about the king of the Jews. Where is the king of the Jews? They now think that the king of these people have, uh, had to be, to be born. And then, led by the star, they arrived to Bethlehem and found the baby. And you remember the Gospel of St. Matthew? They found the baby with Mary, his mother. Jesus is resting on Our Lady's lap as a king on his royal throne. The throne of Jesus is Our Lady, holding him, presenting him to the adoration of the Magi. And this uh, encounter with Jesus held by Our Lady is something so significant that uh, caused a conversion, a change of mentality of these uh, Magi. <clears throat> they eventually, uh, after recognizing Jesus and adoring him, presenting him some gifts, changed their mind about his kinship. Jesus is a king, but this little baby is a true king. They have found a baby who is God and a baby who is the king. The power has now to be reconsidered. What does it mean to be a king? To be like Herod, sitting in a 
beautiful majestic palace ruling over uh, a nation or is it something different this little baby uh, uh, sitting on his mother's uh, lap is the king so he's telling us something completely different this is their conversion they the gospel says they went back home following another way not to see any more Herod. This is very significant. He tells us that they had to find another way of living, no longer the way that led them to Herod, to that kind of kinship. Jesus' kinship is different. They have met the baby, they have met the true king. This kinship is different. The power is the power of love, saving. The true salvation comes from this, this uh, power of a little baby without any, any, apparently without any strength, any power. So they followed this new way, the Christian way, the way of Christ. They became his disciples. It is a, a, not a human power they found, but the one of a little baby who reigns with his mother and gives us the light of life. They have found the reason why to live, the purpose of life. And then there is also another moment speaking very much about this uh, kinship of Christ. Jesus before Pilate during his uh, process and then his uh, final execution on the cross. Let's figure out this scene, Jesus talking to Pilate before being condemned to death. <coughs> Jesus, who several times during his public life avoided to be crowned by the people as a king in order to avoid the wrong human concept of his kingship, people were trying to crown him as their king, Jesus went off. But while he avoided several times to be crowned as a king, now, before Pilate, he acknowledges his kingship openly. Pilate therefore said to him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. For this was I born, and for this came I into the world, that I should give testimony to the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. John 18:37. This is a beautiful testimony to Jesus' kinship, and we understand that what the kinship is about, about a kingdom of truth. The kingdom of Christ is the kingdom of truth. Here already we glimpse of a kinship that embraces everything. The truth is universal. Truth is the correspondence between intelligence and reality. 
reality is what I see, what I touch. But that reality is the correspondence of my intelligence to that reality. When I say, this is it, I am affirming a truth. But this truth is the way we can know something. We know what is true, that is what is existing. And what is true is what is good. And of course, as we know something that is true, we reject what is not true, because it is either not existing or it is something wrong, something of a evil uh, nature. But the kingdom of Christ is the kingdom of truth. So it is a universal kingdom, embracing everything, Embracing life from the very first beginning. When we come into the world, we come into being. And this is the very first truth. We are alive. Since our conception, in order to, to understand what a man is, we have to begin with his life. And the life begins with his conception. This is the very first truth. The kingdom of Christ embraces this aspect from this first moment to the very last moment when a man dies. And everything in between is under this uh, kingship of Christ. So the kingdom of Christ comes from God and is the govern of God, the government of God on the world. The way God governs the whole world. Uh, you remember that the dialogue goes on between Pilate and Jesus. And uh, Jesus is reminding Pilate that his power to put Jesus to death does not come from, uh, from Caesar in Rome, or from his own power, but uh, the authority of Pilate comes from, from God. And uh, Jesus could also escape that situation, but it is because of his will to give himself up that he has come to this moment. And it is Jesus allowing Pilate to touch him, to judge him, and to put him to death. Jesus' kinship is above everything. And we see this uh, majesty of Christ in his passion and death. And this majesty is even more visible when Jesus is crucified, hanging on the cross. According to Pilate and the Roman soldiers, this was an execution to put that life to an end. But it is not. It is a sacrifice. It is the way Jesus is permitting that uh, execution in order to change it into a sacrifice, to give himself up for the salvation of mankind. It is the offering made by Jesus, internal, his will, and external, his body, given. This is my body given up for you. 
This is my blood poured out for you. This will and this uh, offering of his uh, body and blood make the sacrifice alive, the sacrifice uh, effective and uh, reveal also the true kinship of Christ. Jesus is crucified, but the way he is put on the cross is not a normal way. The Gospel of St. John says that Jesus is lifted up, and it is Jesus himself making reference to, to himself, that once lifted up, he would have drawn everyone to him. You remember this beautiful text? So it is Jesus permitting that crucifixion in order to be visible on high by everyone. He's between heaven and earth, lifted up on the throne of his cross. In fact, the inscription was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. But, that inscription was written in three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Why? Because it is a universal inscription. Everyone has to know who Jesus is. It is not only for the Jews. It's not only the king of the Jews. It's the king of everyone, of the whole world. And these three languages are covering the whole uh, spoken languages, languages in the world. And uh, the Jews understood that something was not all right with this inscription. They went back to Pilate and said, change it. He said, I am the king of the Jews. Not that he is. What Pilate said, what I have written, it is written. I can't change it because it was written in heaven. Jesus is the king of everyone. This is the way of revealing while being tortured, crucified, his, his love for us, his universal, universal kinship. So, in order to deliver the truth from the insidious power of injustice and the snare of iniquity, Christ dies on the cross. We said he has been lifted up, so that he can draw everyone to him. And uh, the only salvific power, what is this power about? The power of love that cries tears of blood in his sorrowful passion and death, in order to rescue us from sin and from eternal death. It is a royal power, the power of the truth, is this power of love. The, the truth, the kingdom of truth, is about this power of giving oneself up, giving himself up for the salvation of mankind, so that everyone is rescued, so everyone belongs to Jesus, be is part, has to be, to become as soon as possible, part of this kingdom, the kingdom of truth, which is the kingdom of love, salvific love. 
So it is a royal power, the power of truth, that is the power of love, that leads us now into a new salvific space, the space of truth and love, where uh, the one who embraces them both in Christ can rule over all enemies, especially over sin, the true enemy of man. Jesus has rescued us and he has opened for us a new space. This is the kingdom of Christ, this new space, the space of truth and life and love, where we can live free from sin, free from eternal death in order to reign with Christ. So the cross of the Lord is therefore the throne of his majesty. You remember the throne prophesied by Daniel, then uh, the throne of his majesty that we find in Matthew's gospel. Finally, we understand what this throne is, the Holy Cross, the cross of Christ. His majesty is completely revealed, also because his side on the cross is pierced. And uh, his heart is open now, open to welcome everyone. This is the true salvific space, open for everyone, the heart of Christ. The heart where only truth, love, abide. So the kinship of Christ is then this open door to his heart, leading directly into his heart, pierced for us. That salvific space where we are welcomed, we are secure from all deceitful powers, the powers of the world. For this reason, Philippians 2.10 in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those that are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Jesus was given a name which is above all other names. Because of this abasement, annihilation, Jesus has become the king. He has been exalted. Again, when is there this exaltation? Which means to be raised, raised up. When? The cross. The cross is the way Jesus is exalted, raised up above all other people. Because he's above, he's God. But the God, God who became man. In this uh, humiliation, this abasement, there is actually a change. Christ abased himself, but uh, he has been exalted by the Father above all other things, so that the Lord may receive from the Father all power in heaven and on earth. This is the way the, the, the Gospel of St. Matthew ends. Matthew 28, 18. All power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Before ascending, Jesus is handing on 
to his disciples his own authority, power, which is all authority. Why this all authority? Because of this sacrifice. Because everyone, all creation has been rescued by the offering of Jesus' blood. So every man, every woman, every person living today, yesterday, since the beginning of the world, till the end of the world, belongs to him. He has this authority on every person. And this same authority, before ascending into heaven, is uh, entrusted to his apostles to continue his ministry. And this potestas in Latin, authority, handed over by Jesus to his apostles, is the potestas, the power to sanctify the people by the sacraments, to teach the doctrine of the faith, and to flock the people of God, leading them to eternal life, the tria munera, to sanctify, to teach, and to lead the people. This is the ministry of the apostles. This is the ministry of the priest, extending in time the ministry of Christ. And this is a way to bring everyone into this kinship of Christ, to make them partakers by the sacraments, by the faith, by the only leadership of the church, of this kingdom, the kingdom of truth and love. And also look at this expression, very significant. The fact that this power is given to Christ in heaven and on earth highlights that it is a universal power embracing everyone and everything. It is an inclusive way to put it. In heaven and on earth, everything which is between heaven and earth, that is everything, belongs to Christ. So the authority in heaven and on earth means a universal, cosmic, embracing everything, everyone. Given to Christ by the Father as his inheritance because of his sacrifice, <coughs> handed over by Christ to his apostles till the end of time. But I, Jesus, will be with you until the end of time. So Jesus exercises a messianic, messianic, which is also cosmic, universal dominion, so as to guide all elects into his kingdom of salvation. And the guidance is through, through the apostles, through the church, in order to be, to follow the pathway Jesus inaugurated for us. This is the first aspect that we have to take into consideration in order to see the kinship of Christ. In the second talk we speak more about the kingdom of Christ, 
Jesus says many times in the Gospel, the kingdom of heaven has come. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. It depends. St. Matthew, he's a Jew. He avoids the expression the kingdom of God to pay respect to, to God. And he says the kingdom of heaven. St. Mark, who is a pagan, uh, coming from another, he's not a Jew, says in his gospel the kingdom of God. But has the same, it has the same meaning, of course. And we see what is the meaning of this. The kingdom of God is among us. What does it mean? It's very important to understand the true meaning, otherwise we might easily end up in saying that the kingdom of God is something invisible, as Protestants like to say, and interior. Because the expression is also about the kingdom of God is in you. But not only in you, invisibly present within yourselves, but in your life, in your midst in your daily life, in this world. So it's important to understand the kingdom of Christ. But we leave this to another moment, otherwise it is too much. What we have to take now is this. Jesus is a king. Yes? Jesus is a true king, but his kingship is different. He's unique. He's universal. In a word, it is the kinship of truth and love. The conclusion is that uh, no one can be uh, uh, excluded. No one has to be excluded, especially by, by bishops, by the disciples of Christ, saying, no, they have their religion, leave them in peace. No. If we say that, we betray the kinship of Christ, which is universal. No one must be left out. So this means that the ministry of his apostles and the ministry of all those who belong to Christ are kings in Christ, by baptism, by uh, sacraments, by the faith of the church. The ministry of everyone is to lead all creation, all nations, into this kinship of Christ. You might say, but Father, you might easily be intolerant. You are a fundamentalist. You are saying that other people have to quit their own belief and to follow Jesus. Am I saying that? No. Yes, I'm saying that. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> this is tricky because I might shine a little bit intolerant, of course, not a little bit, but intolerant. How come? People have got their ancestral religion and belief. How can we convince them? But do we believe in the gospel or not? What does Jesus say before ascending? Go! To all nations and baptize. Who? Only some people in your hometown? No. Baptize all people, all nations, in the name of the only true God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But is this intolerance? 
It is not. I conclude and then we open the session for questions and answers. You know why it is not intolerance? We are not imposing anything on anyone. We are preaching, announcing the kingdom of beauty. This is a kingdom of light. It's a kingdom of truth. It's a kingdom of love. If you have another truth which can, in a sense, defeat my truth, you are welcome. Your kingdom is the true one. Your kingdom is the one. Is there a truth defeating the truth? No, because the truth is one. All truths lead to one truth, one God. But it is not intolerance because this true, this true kingdom, the truth, is not imposed. I'm not telling you you have blindly accept this truth. No, it's a, an invitation. It's a way to tell you about this infinite love, which is the purpose of your life. If you are, you are free, of course, to accept it or to reject it, but it is the kingdom of truth uh, announced by the power of love. There is nothing outside truth and love. These two dimensions embrace everything. Yes? No man has no need of truth and love. Of course, we can have ideologies. We can have our own way of understanding religion. But we are called in Christ to, first of all, get rid of all these ideologies to be open to the truth, to the reality as it is. And this reality is... It's true, this reality is lovable. So we announce the gospel, announce the kinship of Christ with the strength of love. The love that is a way to lay one, one's life down for the salvation of mankind. Can you do something like? If you can't, so you need Jesus, who is the only one who was able to lay himself, his life down, there is no greater love than this, to lay oneself, one's life down for the salvation of mankind. Salvation of all mankind, of all people, of any religion, Buddhists, Hinduists, Muslims, no one is, ex uh, uh, is uh, out of this kinship of Christ. Of course, it is a little bit challenging, but uh, we have to be challenged, especially in this uh, politically correct society, and I would say theologically correct church. It is a time to challenge our priests, our bishops. Yes, in the name of, not in my name, in the name of Jesus and the gospel, as it is. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.